Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 433. Um, a couple things. First of all, the curtains are back. You're welcome if you're watching on YouTube. I need to, uh, like, what's the, the word for? Uh, I need to steam them. They're not perfect behind me. But, hey, that's an interesting, weird change to the show. I uh, rearranged my entire studio. And it took way longer than I thought it would. And I'm still... Not sure how to light it, this room. I think the camera could be adjusted a little bit. I'm still working on the details. Um, and I, you know, for anyone who, I don't really want to talk about my breakup. Like, for me, I get to talk about sports for a living, and I'm excited about that because it's a break from the real world, and sports are my escape, and I don't really want to focus on real-world stuff when I'm focusing on football. Like, I get to have a break from that, and I don't want to talk a lot about it, but I will say, you know, my... My, uh, my, my ex moved out on Friday. I shipped off her car back to her on the mainland on Monday. It was a lot of both. Like I tried to take Christmas day off. It was pretty emotional. It was, even though I chose that, it was hard. Uh, I am, I'm doing well now, but I will admit, you know, I'm, it's been a lot of turmoil in my life and I'm still catching up, uh, on everything. I'm a little bit behind on everything. This episode will be all about the Colts beating Arizona, the Bills and the Patriots, Miami, the Giants, uh, there's a really good option. The Jaguars might hire as their head coach. And then next episode, I'm going to talk about, uh, we'll, we'll do the Noteworthy Nine, which there's nine games I want to talk about. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I, maybe I'll do a Drew Locke topic later this week. But next episode, Noteworthy Nine, Ask Zach. And then there's one other thing, but I can't remember. There's something else I wanted to talk about, but I don't remember what it is just yet. Um, either way. Let's jump into topic number one today. I really, I hope you had a great Christmas. I hope you're doing very well. This will come out very late on Tuesday night. Uh, I, I, I apologize. Like, I, I think I, I think I have earned, uh, earned is the wrong way to put it. I think I deserve, like, a little bit of a break based on what's going on in my life. But I really am excited to get back on track, get rolling. And uh, I, next week is, like, I really want to have a good week next week. I'm very, like, I, I want to kill it. I should also add one thing. The weird thing about this studio setup is that my I used to have a monitor I used for my camera, like to show to like get a little image of myself to see myself on camera. What do I look like? Uh, right, wrong, or indifferent? I'm using my monitor for for this setup. My monitor is my massive flat screen TV, and it's weird. I'm looking at myself off to like the camera's straight ahead, off to the left of the camera. You know, your right, my left is a image of me blown up really big on a big screen TV. And I, I'm not kidding. His head, that Zach's head, is bigger than my head. The one I'm looking at is bigger and more intimidating than me. I've never seen myself blown up that big. And it's it's unsettling a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, that guy is, it's really close to me. I feel really big. I'm like, I don't, the image of me I'm looking at is like, it's uh, <laughs> it's flustering a little bit. Let's jump in. On Saturday, Christmas Day, the Indianapolis Colts beat the Arizona Cardinals 22-16. to This was a massive, massive win for Indy. It felt like a playoff win, in my opinion. They beat a really good Cardinals team. Uh, also, they did it without, you know, in the, in the first half, their starting left tackle, Eric Fisher, got injured. And then for most of the game after that, you know, they were missing 
four of their five starting offensive linemen, even down, they had a backup, backup guard, like a third string guard in the game. The only starting lineman of the five they had was right tackle Braden Smith. And they still won. They still ran the ball well. They still threw the ball really well. That's very impressive to me. Now, Colts starting quarterback Carson Wentz was outstanding. He was 18 for 28 passing, 225 yards, two touchdowns, zero turnovers, no interceptions, no fumbles. Although I will say he got lucky. Uh, he got strip sacked by Chandler Jones. He fumbled. It got ruled not. It, will, it, it got canceled out by a penalty, but he should have had one turnover. Lucky break there. Regardless, Carson Wentz played fantastic. He had a beautiful touchdown pass. Third and nine. He's rolling to his left. He found Desmond Patton for a beautiful throw to the end zone. It was chef's kiss. Amazing. Uh, Carson stepped up like the way that's how Carson's going to have to play in the playoffs. If this team wants to win a Super Bowl, he has to show up every single game with that kind of performance. Cause the, I, I really can't think of much more I'd want from Carson. Maybe uh, I, I'm sure he missed a completion here and there, but like, man, that that's exactly, if we can do that every week, have a great game, no turnovers. I mean, they are a really, really scary good football team. The Colts are, and they are capable of winning a Super Bowl if Carson plays that way every single week. Now, Colts running back Jonathan Taylor. Oh, my goodness. He had 27 carries for 108 yards. I do not get a vote on the NFL MVP, obviously, right? I'm just a, I'm a small little podcast host. But... If I were voting, I would vote for Colts running back Jonathan Taylor. This dude is awesome, and weird. This is to, to me. This is exactly why he deserves the MVP. The Colts are nine and zero when Jonathan Taylor runs for over hundred yards, and they are zero and six when he does not. I mean, how else is there any other definition of valuable? When Jonathan Taylor is great, they win. When he's not, they lose. And to me, that's most valuable. By the way, a quarterback has won the NFL MVP award eight years in a row. The last time a running back won was in 2012 when Adrian Peterson won. Uh, the favorite this year to win is Aaron Rodgers. It would be his fourth NFL MVP award, his second back-to-back, -back, which, I mean, that's if Aaron does win the MVP, that's very cool. To say, hey, Aaron didn't win as many Super Bowls as Tom Brady, but he was a better quarterback, like more talented. He won more MVPs. He won four of them, maybe five. We don't know what the future looks like. He won back-to-back -back at one point. Like, I am totally fine with that narrative. Hey, Aaron's amazing. Let's praise Aaron. But just to me, if you keep giving it to quarterbacks, can we at least acknowledge it's not really – it's a quarterback award. The MVP goes to a quarterback unless something crazy happens. I would argue that crazy is Jonathan Taylor, but – I. Look, to me, I would give Jonathan Taylor the NFL MVP award. Uh, I don't think I'm going to give out. I don't. I don't. I didn't give out an NFL MVP last year either. Uh, last year, I gave out an offensive player of the year and a defensive player of the year. I think an even better answer might just be to say best quarterback, best running back, best receiver, best linebacker, best defensive end, like that kind of thing. Um, but uh, but also, is it best or is it best performance, like best year? Because Cooper Cup is probably having the best year of any receiver in the NFL. Is he the best receiver in the NFL? That's a, I, how do you quantify? All these awards are, are weird to me. But if I had to say, because again, I don't, I don't love awards. But if I had to say, I would say that Jonathan Taylor is the NFL MVP. Now, Arizona, 
The Cardinals have lost three games in a row. And right now, they don't look like a team that's going to be able to win the Super Bowl. I don't know how, if you're a Cardinals fan, there's no way you're feeling good. You're not like, oh, yeah, this is our year. You're going, I hope this is our year. Like, we we started really good, and we were 10-2, and two, and now, now we're 10-5, and, and we've lost two games in a row. And so I, I probably did that too long. But if you're a Cardinals fan, you're like, look, we started great. We had an awesome start to the year. We've lost three games in a row. And the problem that I'm seeing from you know where I sit is that Arizona keeps allowing small little mistakes to add up. These small errors here, you know, a, a bad snap, a penalty, a, a drop pass, like they're just all adding up and causing them to lose football games. Like how many times did Arizona have a penalty in a key moment? Twice, Card- Kyler Murray, the Cardinals quarterback, had a bad snap go past him. That cannot happen. Sorry. No, dude, that uh, little things like that happen way too often for me to, and I feel like, so a couple of weeks ago, I made a video saying, hey, these five teams, one of them is going to win the Super Bowl. And I hesitantly put Arizona on that list. And I'm going to stick with it because I, I made the video and I, I want something to refer back to. But so far, it feels like I'm wrong. It feels like Arizona is not one of the five teams that could win a Super Bowl. And it's bad. Like, they're no longer first in the NFC West. They got surpassed by L.A. The Rams are 11-4. and four. Arizona's 10-5. and five. And I have no problem saying that if you are a Cardinals fan, it's okay to be nervous and maybe even starting to hit the panic button because things are bad right now. You're down bad. And it's, uh, it's not looking good for Arizona. Now, one tough thing that was working against the Cardinals on Saturday was that their punter and their usual holder was out. So... The person who normally holds field goal and extra point kicks wasn't there. And as a result, they missed two field goals I think they normally would have made. And they missed an extra point. So when you lose a game by six points, you leave seven on the table kicking between an extra point, two field goals. Also, you give up a really bad safety in your own end zone, getting sat, you know, an intentional grounding penalty on Kyler in the end zone. That's a nine-point swing. And like I said, these small things and hopefully the holder is a one-time thing where they're going to get the holder figured out and next week and forever in the future, that shouldn't be a recurring problem. But we're just seeing Arizona, they just keep finding weird ways to screw up and have problems. And is that a Cliff Kingsbury thing? Is it the head coach's problem? I I don't know. But I'm feeling really, really unconfident in the Arizona Cardinals right now. By the way, for Indy. Here's something interesting. First of all, they're nine and six. They had a really bad, they were one and four to start the year. Currently, if the playoffs started today, the Colts would be the number five seed in the AFC. That's, hey, well done. That's impressive. That's awesome. Now, here is the, the bad news. And I'm going to open my phone so I can read a, an Adam Schefter tweet. First of all, uh, Carson Wentz has been put on the COVID-19 reserve list. So... His ability to play on, what's the date? On, uh, let, me, let, me, let me find my, his ability to play on Sunday against Houston is in question. Why can't I, I'm trying to look at my own Instagram story and I can't. Why is this happening? So he got placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. And then we found out from, here, I'm going to read the Adam Schefter tweet. The NFL and the NFLPA now have adopted the new CDC guidelines that reduce the quarantine time from five days down, uh, for, so 
to five days. It was 10 days. If you tested positive, it was a 10-day quarantine. Now it's moved down to only five days for all COVID-positive players who are asymptomatic, including those who are unvaccinated. Boom! So, Carson Wentz, for a brief moment today, I went, oh, crap. Carson's not going to be able to play on Sunday. And then I went, oh, wait. The NFL's really fine. Because I was going to cover it from the angle that, hey, this could be the very first of a cascade of problems. Because throughout the entire NFL playoffs in the Super Bowl, you don't want starting quarterbacks missing playoff games. Okay. Crap, my voice, I cracked. Uh, you don't want starting quarterbacks missing playoff games and the Super Bowl. That's a horrible thought. And so um, I, I really, I like the NFL, whether, you know, they're, they're looking at the CDC and saying, hey, we're going to change our guidelines. And, and the result is it's going to be a lot easier for people like Carson Wentz to get on the field after testing positive or being in close contact or whatever happens. So um, cross your fingers if you're a Colts fan. I want to see the Colts make the playoffs. I want to see them finish this journey. So I am rooting for Carson to get back on the field on Sunday. And uh, keep your eye on that. All right. Let me drink some water real quick, and then we will get into Sunday. We're going in chronological, chronological order. Saturday, Sunday, then Monday. Watch three games, one day, one game each day. On Sunday, the Buffalo Bills beat the New England Patriots 33-21. to It was a... Glorious win for Buffalo. Oh my goodness. Uh, great result. And they played great football. So the result is that both the Bills and the Patriots are now nine and six. And what that means is that the Bills are currently leading the AFC East because they have a better record in their division. And Buffalo, man, they did so many things right in this football game. They were aggressive on fourth down. They were getting touchdowns, not field goals. They got stopped one time on fourth and goal where Emmanuel Sanders dropped a touchdown. I think in the end it still led to a touchdown, though, because they went for it on fourth and goal. They got stopped. The Patriots went three and out. They punted, and the Bills still got the ball in great field bowl, in great field position, and that did lead to a touchdown eventually to Stephon Diggs. And so, man, I, I loved what the Bills did on Sunday. They had long drives. Listen to this. These are the Bills' scoring drives. 13 plays and a touchdown, 10 plays and a field goal, seven plays, quick touchdown, uh, 14 plays and a field goal, nine plays and a touchdown and 13 plays and a touchdown. That's awesome. They were moving the ball so well on Bill Belichick's defense. I, I gotta say, man, it was awesome to see. I really, really loved what the Bills did. And the star clearly and easily was Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen. He was 34, 47 passing, 314 yards, three touchdown passes. He also ran for 64 yards. This is the best game I've seen Josh Allen play all year. And, I mean, the guy made play after play after play, rolling to his right, throwing the ball across the field, uh, avoiding a sack, throwing a touchdown, throw after throw. Like, he had a great play on fourth and one where he – he was dead to rights, and he still ran for the first down. He used that big frame, fell forward, got a first down. And he also, and on top of playing really, really well, Josh Allen had zero turnovers. He avoided a big negative play. I felt like what we saw on Sunday was the maturity of Josh Allen and, and him getting even better. Like, that was a next step in his progression, and 
that's how you become a top five quarterback. You put together games like that week in and week out. Once that becomes the norm from Josh Allen, which we're getting closer and closer to that performance where he makes play after play, like the style of Aaron Rodgers would work. When you watch Aaron Rodgers, it's, he's got play like highlight reel play after highlight reel play. He's making play after play. And when he does have a bad game or a bad play, it's rare. And Josh Allen is slowly elevating himself into that conversation of being eventually like an elite top five quarterback because as the mistakes go down and his playmaking just keeps getting better and better and better, he's going to become an Aaron Rodgers level style quarterback. And I I just, oh my gosh, I didn't even, it's not in my notes. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't prepared to compare him to Aaron Rodgers, but what we saw, like that was an Aaron Rodgers style game. You just elevate your football team and put together a bunch of long drives against a really good defense. And it was really, really fun to watch Josh Allen on Sunday. And I got to say, I hope we have this Bills Patriots rivalry for a really long time. The battle for the AFC East between Buffalo and New England. These are two teams that both have young quarterbacks and good coaches. I would say that Buffalo has a better quarterback and the Patriots have a better coach, but it's awesome to see you know, I got asked a question last week that was like, hey, do you think that the Patriots are back to reigning over the AFC East? And I was kind of like, we'll see. It's very possible. And Buffalo said, no, sir. No, we are not going to go down without fighting. We are, you know, we, we won the division last year. You guys kicked our butts year after year after year. And Buffalo said, no, no, no. It's still our division right now. You got to earn it and steal it from us. And, uh, I love watching this battle between Buffalo and New England, and uh, I think that would be a really fun playoff game. If we could see a third matchup between these two teams, which I think is actually probably advantageous to New England because the Patriots often, when you play a team a third time, Bill Belichick is like, and he he puts together all kinds of crazy schemes and plots to beat your football team. But uh, I would love to see Bill's Patriots for a third time this year in 2021. I guess it would be probably January, but I want to see that happen very, very badly. Now, Patriots quarterback Mac Jones was 14 for 32 passing, 145 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. The interceptions are a bit misleading. He had one interception that I thought was, I mean, you, you could put it on him. He the ball, he threw the ball and it got tipped by a linebacker in a throwing lane. So you could say, hey, that's got to be a better throw or a better decision. Fair enough. Uh, his second interception was on a Hail Mary trying to make a play with like a minute left. Like, ah, you can't really blame the guy for that. On Fourth down, nonetheless. Um, either way, definitely was not Mac Jones' best game of his career. And uh, I-, I thought the Bills were just far away in every aspect of the game. Buffalo was a better team on Sunday. Uh, the Patriots jumped off sides on a fourth down, which is very uncharacteristic. Now, I thought it was kind of cool. It's fourth and seven. Uh, the Bills had Josh Allen in the gun running fly motion, and they... You know, Josh Young goes, Sanat! right as the fly motion guy's in front of him. So if you're going to run a play where you, you hand it off to a guy running across on a motion, that's when you would call it. I mean, that, that might have thrown him off. I don't know. Um, but the Patriots had more turnovers. The Patriots were terrible on third down. They were horrible on third down. Um, and I, I just thought that Buffalo really, really outclassed and outshined the Patriots on Sunday, which is a very, very rare occurrence to see a team not just 
be more explosive and like ha- have more talent or something. But the Bills, I thought, were better at the little details that the Patriots normally get right. And that is why it's a glorious, beautiful win for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the second half was very interesting. There were five scoring drives in a row. The Bills got uh, two, fi- uh, two touchdowns and a field goal. The Patriots had three, uh, two touchdowns as well. So five, you know, field goal for the Bills, touchdown Patriots, touchdown Bills, you know, back, just back and forth, back and forth. It's kind of weird. The Patriots only had the ball three times in the entire second half. I mean, it was a very, very quick, long drive second half. And uh, what I really liked was that New England actually had a shot to win this football game. The Bills went for it on fourth and one near the end of the game, and the Patriots had a chance to stop the Bills on fourth and one, and then they'd have the ball down five points, 21 to 26. They couldn't stop Josh Allen. He ran for a first down, and uh, that's a great football game. You know, the Bills went on to score a touchdown, extend their lead, but just a perfect, awesome division battle between two really good football teams and I got to give credit to Buffalo, man. Oh, my gosh. Um, if I could go back and trade out one team and say, hey, if the Cardinals can't win a Super Bowl, if Buffalo plays that way, they could maybe replace Buff- you know, replace Arizona. Um, Buffalo, that's a great game, and I want to see more of those moving forward for the Buffalo Bills. Okay, Monday Night Football. On Monday Night Football, the Miami Dolphins beat the New Orleans Saints 22-3. And uh, we'll start with Miami because here's the crazy headline from this game. Miami started the year one and seven, and now they are eight and seven. They are the only team in NFL history to have both a seven-game winning streak and a seven-game losing streak in the same year. That, (laughs) I don't even know what to say. It's unbelievable. Uh, Head coach of the Dolphins, Brian Flores, is being considered as maybe the coach of the year now for the turnaround. He, to go start one and seven and keep your team going, keep your team battling and fight all the way back to an above 500 record. And by the way, if the playoffs started today, Miami would be the number seven seed. That is unbelievable. That's crazy. And I, I thought the AFC East was going to have three playoff teams. I thought Buffalo, New England, and Miami were all going to get in. But I, and I don't know that Miami's even going to get in. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the turnaround Miami has made, it's incredible. And it deserves a lot of praise. It's very cool. I had a lot of fun watching Miami win on Monday night. Uh, Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavaloa played fairly well. He was 19 for 26 passing with 198 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, The interception was him forcing a throw vertically into coverage. He actually had a deep dig wide open. He threw that even beyond that uh, farther downfield into coverage, got picked off. I really got to wonder if Tua is allowing people like me, not not me particularly, but idiots like me who talk in front of a mic and share our opinions about football. Is Tua allowing the media to get in his head? Because I, I see all these memes. I see people criticizing Tua constantly for all he does is throw two yard passes. Oh, and like, well, no one criticized Drew Brees when Drew Brees would throw like, you know, Four yards, four yards, four yards, three yards, four yards, two yards, screen, screen, two yards. And Michael Thomas is racking up like 13 catches a game off like five-yard hitch routes. Nobody cared when Drew Brees did it. Why does everybody care when it's to a tongue of Loa? I don't know. But I, that felt like a throw or two, a predetermined, I want to throw the ball vertically into coverage rather than, or, you know, I want to take a shot downfield. The result was throwing into coverage, but I felt like he predetermined that because he's just like, I, I think having a hard time both with, 
it's boring to like you know, take the defense gives you every single play. And, and then on top of that, the fact that people are wrongly criticizing him for that for, I don't know why people are criticizing Tua for putting the ball in the right spot. That makes no sense to me. If the defense gives him a five yard hitch, throw the five yard hitch, ask questions later, who cares? But for some reason we like to qualify Tua's completions as bad because they're not vertical somehow. And he's not Josh Allen. So, neither is Drew Brees. I don't know why. I, I feel like I, all I can do is compare Tua to Drew Brees and say, like, look, guys, they, they play the same style, and it, it, it's very weird to me. But I do think the narrative about Tua that he can't throw the ball downfield probably helped him lead to a bad decision throwing the ball deep into coverage uh, on Monday. Now, Miami's not very explosive on offense. The defense is set. I am, I am begging. I am begging Begging, begging Miami, please, can you draft? First of all, build your offensive line, and whether it's in free agency, although I would prefer you draft somebody, go get a receiving threat. Get a second-round receiver and get a third-round receiver. Just draft receivers. Get somebody explosive. Uh, maybe a tight end. I don't know, but I, I want Jalen Waddell is outstanding, but he's the only playmaker on this offense, and Miami just needs someone else to complement Jalen Waddell's skill set. Again, build your offensive line and get another receiving threat in Miami. And I, I think Tua is going to do even better. Now, uh, Jalen Waddell has been and was incredible on Monday night. He is the Dolphins rookie receiver. He's about to break the record most likely for uh, most catches ever for a rookie. And he, you know, Anquan Bolden, who set the record, did it in 16 games. And if Jalen Waddell plays the rest of the game, you know, two more games left, he will have played 16 games as well. So, He's not breaking the record because he added an extra game. He missed one due to the Rona. So I, I just got to say, it's impressive what Jalen Waddle's doing. It's unbelievable. And he is like, he's their whole offense. I mean, so in this game, he had 10 catches for 92 yards and a touchdown. He had over half of two of his completions and nearly half of two of his yards passing. By the way, that touchdown catch was basically a handoff. Uh, it was a little tap, like, you know, the little tap pass basically it's a handoff that gets counted like a pass. It's very silly. We, I mean, I, I guess it is a to a technically threw it two inches into Jalen Waddle's hands, but um, Jalen Waddle, I, I don't know if you can compare uh, other than the quarterback. Maybe Jalen Waddle is the most important player on offense in Miami. I am not a betting man, uh, but if Jalen Waddle got injured, I'd be like, oh, they're gonna t-. like I would, I would whatever. However, betting works, I'd be like, look, dude, they're going to be horrible on offense in Miami because he's everything to them. He, he is – I wouldn't even – I almost compared him in my notes right at watching the game to Cooper Cup in L.A. But the thing about Cooper Cup in L.A., yes, L.A.'s offense runs entirely almost through Cooper Cup, and he's putting up so many big numbers and all kinds of production. But if Cooper Cup got injured in L.A., they have other receiving weapons that can be leaned on. They have Odo Beckham Jr. They have – um, what's the, uh, Van Jefferson. Like, they have other people there. Miami doesn't really have any other options other than Jalen Waddle on third down. He gets the ball, like, every single play. And, uh, I don't know, man. I, also, I watched Tua get hit a lot in this game. I, I can't say enough. Miami. Miami, please. Build the offensive line and get another receiver to compliment Jalen Waddle. And I, I really believe good things would happen with your offense with Tua. Your defense is great. I think you got Tua. I think you got Jalen Waddell. Build the offensive line. Get another receiver and come talk to me before you bail on Tua. Because I think Tua shows a lot of promise. And uh, I think people forget how good the guy was in college. Like, 
I don't know why. I don't know why people suddenly think two is terrible, but um, he's playing well in my mind. Now, here's where so Miami right now, if the playoffs started today, they're eight and seven. They would be the number seven seed in the AFC playoff picture. Now, the next two games for Miami are massive. They play at Tennessee next week, and then they finish the year at home against the Patriots. And I just see a a really great opportunity here for Tua to show the world what he can do to prove himself. Like, look, Tua, I I love Tua. I believe in Tua. um, But I I need, as as a person who likes Tua and wants Tua to succeed, he has to show the world what he can do in these next two games. And hopefully win both of them because it's pretty hard. If they get into the playoffs and Tua has a great finish to the year, it's going to be pretty hard to get rid of him, I think. And uh, I think the next two games are a massive audition for Tua. Hey, go shred New England. Uh, Do really well against Tennessee. Make the playoffs. Then we're talking. And uh, if he doesn't, unfortunately, Tua might actually get traded away. So these next two games, I cannot overstate. They are a massive opportunity for Tua to show the world and show me because I love him. I want him to do well. I'm, I don't fully believe he's going to do well. Like, is he going to shred New England? Ugh, I don't know. They're going to do everything they can to take away Jalen Waddle, And then what's going to happen? I don't know. But um, that, in fact, that game, I'm already looking ahead. Patriots at Dolphins week 18. How are the Patriots going to defend Jalen Waddle? I can't wait to see that. And gosh, man, if, if there's ever a time for Tua to really take a step forward and Show the world what he can do. The time is now. Okay, uh, the Saints. New Orleans Saints on Monday night football, they were missing 22 players due to the Rona. Uh, they started a rookie quarterback, Ian Book, his first ever start in the NFL. It's brutal. I don't know how to – I just feel bad for, for Saints fans. Uh, this is the same defense, Miami, that shut down Lamar Jackson. I'm not exactly – I was never confident Ian Book was going to have a great day. Uh, it's a tough spot. I felt bad for him. His first ever NFL start on short notice against a great defense, getting hit a ton. His second ever pass, just throwing an out route, it got tipped, got picked off, taken for a pick six. I mean, at the end of the game, yeah, he threw another pick on fourth down, trying to make a play. I just, Ian Book felt more like a victim than a, I just felt bad for the guy. He's in a terrible spot, probably shouldn't be playing. Uh, and what a horrible way to start your NFL career. I just felt bad for the guy. Now, the Saints were 0-12, by the way, on third down, which is a great landmark to show how bad they were. Never in the history of Sean Payton coaching in New Orleans have the Saints got not a single third down conversion the entire game. And uh, that's obviously very, very bad. Uh, my last thing to say about Monday Night Football, I, I don't like complaining about other broadcasters. Like, here I am in front of a, a curtain that needs to be ironed. Like, who am I to criticize anyone? Right? But I will say, rather than criticizing Monday Night Football's broadcasters, I want to let you know, I think they're not being put in a good position to succeed. And if you listen to any football game, college football, pretty much any NFL game, there are two broadcasters. There is a play-by-play guy who talks while the play's happening. He's at the 40, the 50. Rodgers looks. Rodgers throws down the right sideline. Like that guy who tells you what's happening. You can watch it, but he's going to tell you what's happening as you watch it. Then there's a guy who talks after the play, the analyst, who says, well, Jim, here's why that happened. Tony Romo is a great analyst. A play will happen, and Tony Romo will explain to the world, here's why that happened and why it's interesting. Or give you like a little five-second tidbit of 
interesting thought after a play happens. The problem with Monday night football, they got three guys in the booth. They got one play-by-play guy, Steve Levy, and then Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick. And I just feel bad because one guy talks during the play. That's totally normal. But when the play is over, who is supposed to talk? That you can tell the guys, they're, they're, they're pretty good. They hide it well. But there's a little bit of a hesitancy to be like, is it my turn to talk? Is it your turn to talk? When is it my turn to share commentary and your turn to share commentary? And it's, it's got to be brutal. I don't know how you would find the timing right because when is it Brian Greasy's turn to talk versus Lewis Riddick? And sometimes you hear Steve Levy, you know, he'll tee up one guy but forget to tee up the other guy. And Lewis Riddick gets hung up to dry sometimes. You're like, it's just... It's not good for anybody. And until Monday Night Football, here's the way to fix Monday Night Football. Everybody complains about the broadcasting. No one thinks about how, hey, the idiots in suits at the top who make decisions, they created this problem. Instead of blaming Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick and Steve Levy, just realize that they're doing something that doesn't work. That's a three-man broadcasting booth, which it happens occasionally and it usually happens when a network doesn't trust the people they're putting out there. Uh, for example, unfairly, might I add, ESPN decided to put Pat McAfee in a booth with two other people. And it was good, but it showed that they didn't trust that Pat McAfee could do enough by himself broadcasting games, which, totally wrong! I, 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 Pat McAfee's great. Put him in a booth. He's awesome. That's not what I'm trying to say here. My, my point is that they did that because they didn't trust him, which is sad and, and stupid. They should have trusted him. And... ESPN, for some reason, doesn't trust they can find two people to broadcast. They got to, oh, let's put three people out there. And it's not helping anyone. It's putting, it's setting up people to fail, quite frankly. And uh, that is why ESPN, it's, it's more difficult. It's overcomplicated. ESPN just needs to put two people in a booth. And when they do, Monday Night Football will be much, much better. In fact, let me, let me add one more piece of commentary. I think they're just really, really hesitant because of, Jason Witten and who being not great and you know Booger McFarlane was like this weird they put him on the sideline but he's kind of in the booth and ESPN ever since John Gruden left the Monday Night Football booth has not been able to find identity and it's because they ultimately they can't find two people they trust enough to be left alone Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit do great as a two-man broadcasting booth and ESPN needs to find that to, go, to duplicate their success with college football at the NFL level. Okay, um, let me drink some water, and then we'll talk about a couple coaching opportunities here. Apparently, the New York Giants are sticking with their head coach, Joe Judge, and their quarterback, Daniel Jones. Does that sound right to you? I mean, I, I just got out of, out of a relationship. Would it be right for me to stay another year in my relationship knowing I'm probably going to end it in a year? No, that makes no sense. Probably just end the relationship. It feels to me like Joe Judge is someone who is going to be fired in a year, and either they're keeping him because they want to be able to say, hey, we gave him three years, and when they hire a new head coach, they can say, look, you're going to get a fair shot. We gave Judge probably long, Joe Judge longer than he deserved. The Daniel Jones thing, I don't know why they're sticking with Daniel Jones. Um, it, I, I guess it's easier to do nothing. It's easier to keep your head coach and keep your quarterback and not make any changes. Maybe it's because there's not a lot of great head coaching Options out there they don't like. Uh, Daniel Jones, maybe they're like, hey, we can't find better than Daniel Jones in the NFL draft, and we'd rather have another bad year and get another quarterback in 
2023, that, that NFL draft. I don't know. I, I will say the number one thing that needs to happen, Dave Gettleman, the general manager, has to go. I, I just can't. I can't support that any longer. He's got to get out of there. I keep the coach, the quarterback, whatever, but get a new general manager for the you know for Pete's sake. Um, but it feels like the Giants are headed towards a wasted year, and I don't. It must. It's got to be that they are. They're like, look, we don't like any of the options we have to hire. We're going to wait a year to see if anything better arises because. What you don't want to do is hire a coach you don't really want for a year, fire him, then get the coach you really want. So there must be something – there must be some plan, I hope. I hope the plan isn't just, well, it's easier to do nothing because, oh, my gosh. Um, it, it, I, I, don't, I, I don't really understand. I don't know what Joe Judge has done to deserve a third year in New York, but um, maybe they get a new GM and suddenly it's great. I don't know. But I, I – uh, I, I heard the Giants were keeping Joe Judge and Daniel Jones. And, well, there's a, again, there's a lot of job openings, and there's not a lot of quarterbacks. So I, 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 I don't understand it, but that's what they're doing, and uh, best of luck to them, apparently. Uh, number three, or number three, what am I saying? Finally, the last thing I want to talk about today. Number tomorrow, Noteworthy Nine, Ask Zach. There's one other topic. I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's in my notes somewhere. Let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars coaching search. Apparently, uh, so first of all, I heard two names that I love, 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 love in the Jaguars coaching search. Apparently, they are considering Jim Caldwell to be their head coach. They're also interviewing uh, and considering Doug Peterson. Jim Caldwell is the last coach who got the Detroit Lions to the NFL playoffs. I love him. He got unjustly fired. Doug Peterson was a guy who I thought did pretty well, won a Super Bowl. (laughs) I mean, I— Good coach Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl too. I'm not saying you're great suddenly if you win a Super Bowl, but Doug Peterson, I thought, got fired because the owner wanted more control and Doug Peterson didn't like that. Um, they also, the Jaguars apparently requested to interview both of the Buccaneers coordinators, defensive coordinator Todd Bowles and offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, as well as the Cowboys coordinators. You know, that's defensive coordinator uh, Dan Quinn and offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Now, the guy, the, the name that got me excited though, when I found out that the Jaguars might hire him as their head coach. Jim Caldwell. Dude, are you I, I really want to see Jim Caldwell make a return, become a head coach in the NFL. He got unjustly fired by the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions made the playoffs two of the four years Jim Caldwell was their head coach. And they fired the guy. Who do you think you are? You get a coach who goes nine and seven and you fire the guy? After two playoff appearances, I don't know what Detroit was thinking. I don't know why Detroit was so ungrateful. The Lions have been horrible my entire lifetime. And they get a coach suddenly that's winning, taking them to the playoffs, and they're like, not good enough. What? How much would they kill to have Jim Caldwell now? I think I had a good coach, Dan Campbell. But my point remains the same. Dude, Dan Campbell with Trevor Lawrence and I think an offense and a a, a roster that has a lot of potential – in a situation where Jim Caldwell took over a Lions team before and and won and – Went 11 and 5, made a playoffs, made the playoffs twice. I mean, I think Jim Caldwell might be the best job for the Jaguars, uh, or best coach for the job. Yeah, coach for the job. That's what I'm trying to Jim Caldwell might be the best coach for the job. I want to see him in Jacksonville. That name got me very excited. And uh, I- I'm going to start the campaign now. Jim Caldwell for Jaguars head coach. I want that very badly. I think that would be a very, very good hire that um, also would rectify 
some past unjustness, which I thought was Jim Caldwell should never have gotten fired by Detroit. And uh, I want to see the man get another shot because he did so well last time. And he turned around about, I just, let's see it. I want to see Jim Caldwell in Jacksonville. That sounds fantastic. All right, guys. I love you. I appreciate you. I'll see you very, very soon. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are.